0: Hi, I'm Christina,
1: and I'm Jade,
0: and we are Legion of Dogs.
1: We are a resource for multi-dog living,
0: offering private lessons, online courses, and in-person seminars to help you with your furry household. So,
1: expectations. Yeah, there's lots of different times people have expectations of dogs that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily aligned with the best interest of the dog, or even realistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, lots of times
0: for sure. And I think I think people have unrealistic expectations and uh, like you were saying, breeders. But I also think there's a lot of um, miscommunication, like what one person thinks maybe a breeder or someone rehoming a dog might think the family's expectations are versus what actually is going on in the household. I think language can be so ambiguous that the expectations even though they might have been discussed might not still have been accurate or clear.
1: Totally. Actually that's a good way to start um, this conversation because as everyone knows I breed dogs and I can tell (laughs) you (laughs) the screening of homes for puppies is ridiculously hard because you can literally not assume anything about anyone. You have Mm -hmm. to ask every single question, even if they're people, you know, like really well. And I was like, oh, I know this person. It's easy, but it's not. You almost have to over communicate with them so that you don't make an assumption Mm -hmm. about what they want or need. And this all involves the other person that's purchasing the puppy actually understanding what they need and want.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a big uh, gap, I think, as well. And lots of trainers offer like a pre-purchase or pre-get a puppy. This is what you should look for. I've seen that offered. But I don't think enough people go forward with that before they actually get a dog.
1: Yeah, I've had clients utilize that kind of service where I help them find a puppy and a breeder um, once they've had a really tragic situation. Mm. Yes. But I've never had them utilize it without something prompting it. Exactly.
0: Like, yeah. yeah. I've, I've helped lots of people who have had a very challenging dog help them find their next dog because mm-hmm. they don't want to end up in that position yep. again. Um, and that might not be an expectation thing it might have just been a very challenging dog. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't seen a lot of people, I guess people don't think it's that hard to get a dog that fits their lifestyle until they've had one that's really hard to live with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you're a dog trainer, or you breed dogs, or you do dog sports, you may think certain things are really important that regular puppy buyers don't. Mm. So um, people who've had lots of dogs tend to be, (laughs) whole crew just left me, um, very fixated on what breeds would be best. And there's a reason for that. However... If you're a pet person and you're just looking for a well-adjusted family dog, then maybe breed shouldn't be the top consideration.
0: Mm, No.
1: Which sounds a little weird, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I am 100% on board because the differences within a breed are huge. Like your Aussies versus some of the ones that Mm -hmm. we see around they're all Aussies, but they're very different temperaments.
1: Even my litter, I had three puppies and they were extraordinarily different. They're Mm -hmm. still pretty different. Um, I have two of them at the house right now. (laughs) (laughs) And like, they have a lot in common, they do. But there are also some pretty extremes in their differences Mm -hmm. that would, you know, impact how well they would do in a certain type of home. So what I found... And if you're, if you're just looking for, like, a great pet dog, and that's hard to find, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder than it
0: seems. It sounds. It, it shouldn't should be. be this
1: hard. It shouldn't be this hard. Um, you need to look for someone that's actively trying to breed good pet dogs. Mm-hmm. And then if you know kind of a size you want, so big, medium, small, I would explore a variety of breeds from a variety of breeders in that kind of scope. and. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm going to call out another podcast because they're awesome. I guess it's not a call out. It's a shout out. Um, the <laughs> I almost panicked. Dog, <laughs> the Functional Dog Collaborative has a podcast where there are people who are literally breeding dogs to be great temperaments and healthy dogs to be pets. Mm hmm. And some of them are mixed breed breeders and they're health testing and they're picking the best temperaments of dogs and they're working in collaboratives with one another. So it's not just like one line of dogs and they're doing a lot of temperament testing and screening and they tend to use really, really outstanding socialization protocols to produce pet dogs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the more of those people can get their hands on the better it's going to be for those family dogs because our expectation of a family dog is really really high Mm -hmm. we want full tolerance (laughs) of people and kids and other pets and we need to be able to take them everywhere and handle all sorts of stimulus and we want ideally to do very little training in order to achieve these things
0: yes and i do think that's possible if you have the right dogs. You shouldn't yes. have to be a professional trainer or spend thousands and thousands of dollars in training in order to have a good family pet. But we have to get dogs that were bred intentionally or unintentionally as good family pets. Completely. And I, I'm going to say it. People are going to hate me. I don't want hate mail.
1: <laughs> we might I
0: freaking love doodles. I do too. The function of a doodle from a good breeder is a good family pet. And there are bad breeders in every breed mix, whatever. But there are also a lot of great ones in most breeds. And um, I like that because that's what that mix is typically bred for, is to be a good pet. Whereas the average person is active and they want a smart dog, so they might go and get a Border Collie, and they've got three kids under 10. And that might not be a great mix, even though they thought... Or even the breeder thought, hey, this is going to be great, but the dog wasn't bred to live in the city with a bunch of chaotic children. That's not a function of that
1: dog. And I've heard through puppy culture, because I'm part of that group, because I buy their program for my litters. um, They have an enormous amount of clients that breed doodles Mm -hmm. that do puppy culture, which Mm -hmm. says a ton that program is yeah. really intensive and it <laughs> demands a lot of you as a breeder. And if people are putting that much work into their litters, that's going to go a long way. So yeah, we're both pro doodles. I'm pro mixed breeding, honestly, as long as the people are trying to breed really healthy dogs mm-hmm. with good temperaments, I yeah. don't really care if they're registered. And I say this guys, like I breed purebred dogs that are registered, <laughs> yeah. but as a dog trainer who deals with families, a lot of these mixed breed dogs that are, tend to be doodles, at least in our area where we live, mm-hmm. are pretty good pets. And they, yeah. they're pretty easy for people to have. And they come in a variety of sizes. And I'd say the only real downside I see to them on the regular basis is the grooming requirements.
0: Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of grooming. Yeah. You either need to do it yourself at home or have the funds to do it regularly, professionally. Yeah. 100%. So and their coats can be very, very high maintenance and you don't appear to be until it's kind of too late. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so a lot of people give doodles a bad rep, but we love them. Yeah. So if you have a doodle out there, we love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I mean, the thing is, is if you look at the breeds that um, poodles are being crossed with to make doodles, a lot of those breeds also, as purebred dogs would make good family pets, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you need to just go buy a mix if you want a good family pet. There's some fantastic golden breeders, fantastic lab breeders. There's fantastic poodle breeders. Like, mm-hmm. they're all out there.
0: So. I basically tell people if they're looking for a family pet, my first
1: stop would be any breed
0: that's meant to put a bird in its mouth.
1: I would not go there because I've owned and lived with a pointer.
0: Yeah, except for a pointer.
1: But <laughs> so that was my first thought. Like
0: spaniels are great often. Yeah. You know, not every breed, not every line, but that, that those types of dogs are generally more soft than some of the breeds that are meant to bite things. 100%.
1: So we're talking about the herders and the guard yeah. <laughs> type breeds.
0: Yeah. Like if you get a mastiff, probably not fair to expect that dog to be a dog park dog. Or doggy date dog. Mm-hmm. Or to be the dog that can just hang out in the front yard and have people come and go and it wags its tail and is friendly.
1: Yep. You know, and those- while you find some that can, it's mm-hmm. not the
0: norm there are unicorns we call those dogs that are can do everything even though their breed says they might not be able to we call them unicorns mm-hmm. and there are a lot of unicorns out there but we don't you can't go into a breed expecting to have a unicorn it's just happy luck for
1: sure for sure i live with a unicorn aussie mm-hmm. and uh, i is. can't duplicate it no none of her puppies are like her they are like her, but not in the lack of guarding instinct. Yeah, not in the unicorn She has way. none. She has <laughs> no guarding instinct. She doesn't bark. You can come to the door. You can walk in my house. You can rob me. It's weird. It's not <laughs> breed appropriate. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's nice. It fits into city living really well. But her yeah. puppies are regular Aussies. They have all the instincts.
0: Yeah. And I'm the same. I have a, a unicorn collie, mm-hmm. and he's... Like, he loves toys and pine cones and sticks more than anything. He would throw himself off a cliff for a piece of old kibble. <laughs> he loves resources, and he has zero resource guarding. Zero.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, anybody can come take something from him, and he will let them. Um, and that that's not normal. For Normally, sure. dogs bred to have big feelings about their toys and their things, which herders are often they're supposed to have big feelings about collecting sheep and (laughs) protecting things. Um, That also means they have big feelings about someone trying to take their
1: things.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. More often than not. So this is where like the conversation about expectations from the puppy buyer and the breeder are truly important because you need to make sure people understand the spectrum that can happen and Mm -hmm. what they should do about it. Cause a lot of times if you address this stuff early, it doesn't get as big. Hmm. not always but mostly
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know helping owners understand and love the dog that they have rather than I find often they had a dog when they're a kid or they saw a dog that looked like this one once um and they want this new dog to be like the other dog yeah and in one of my cases um the dog, the initial perfect dog, was a rescue that just happened to be the same color. It was pointy ears, black with pointy ears. So the owner bought a Schutzen bred German Shepherd and was hoping to make it a therapy dog. Well, you know, that, that wasn't really a great fit for that dog. And she made, the owner loves her dog and made different changes so that the dog could succeed in her family. But, you know, the expectations on... A Ships and Bread Shepherd might not be the same as you have on, say, if you bought a Labrador from a therapy dog breeder.
1: Yeah, or potentially a Showline German Shepherd that's mm-hmm. just a lot more mellow. Like, it, they range so much. Yeah. So this actually leads into the next expectations that I'm running into with clients a lot. So sometimes breeders breed really amazing dogs and they work really hard to have this great breeding program and they trial their dogs in the sport of their choice or multiple sports of their choice and then they want their puppy buyers to go out and have champions with every puppy and they have this (laughs) formula they want them to do and follow to make that dog a star and I'm seeing it a lot and it's disheartening because Yeah, there's a lot of people that like to do dog sports, but don't need to be national champions or international Mm -hmm. champions, and they just want to go and, you know, do agility once or twice a week and have a good time, or do a little bit of rally obedience a couple times a year, and it's super fun. But if the breeder's expectation is X amount of titles by a certain age, and that puppy happens to be a softer puppy, or that owner might want to do other things with their dog than just train all the time. Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And it can fracture the relationship between the breeder and the puppy home, which is really unfortunate because that should be a strong relationship throughout the life of the dog. Mm -hmm. And I think having people not place so many expectations on a puppy home to achieve certain, like, awards or titles. Mm -hmm. Yeah would actually enhance the relationship and therefore in the long run potentially lead to more success from the the puppy buyer and the family if they keep trialing. Yes,
0: 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard a lot of, you, especially on social media, you'll see other people yeah. with litter mates or similarly aged dogs of the
1: same breed and they're doing
0: all these amazing things and then your puppy might have a hard time sitting
1: 100 <laughs> and the puppies are not the same they're no. just not and they have different life experiences like even within my dogs navy was so far behind what story was at at the same age but navy mm-hmm. had an injury and a medical emergency and she was a softer dog yep. and if i had been comparing to like her litter mates because some of them are in pretty high level sport homes <laughs> i may, may have felt bad in that moment and then I, I've been on the other side. I've had a puppy that's really performing high out of a litter and the other puppy's not right away. Mm-hmm. They all mature differently. Yep. Yeah,
0: I had that with my own two dogs. Like Zoe did everything. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of training with him. Uh, too much. I changed things now. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but I did a lot of rally and I did, I did everything with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was trialing at a very young age. He could do, anything and um jellybean when she came she has a stomach issue and wouldn't eat so that makes training harder and she still doesn't she's four and a half and she still doesn't have rally titles and i don't don't care anymore but at the time when i couldn't do the things with her that i wanted to do that i had done with her big brother her uncle um that was really hard for me and took a bit of Change and she's like world class disc dog now, but yeah, she she's our young.
1: overall <laughs> trial champion almost every trial. <laughs>
0: when she was six months, I honestly looked at her and thought maybe she should just be my husband's dog and I should get a new puppy. <laughs> but it was health related and I didn't know that at the time.
1: Yeah. It at takes a long time to figure that out.
0: Yeah. So but you you know, and, and it's not always going to be health, it could just be a softer temperament or lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the trials are for us, they're not for the dogs. The dogs nope. don't care.
1: The titles are for us, too. They're also not for the dogs.
0: No, the dogs don't care. They. Re- I think if you ask all the dogs in the world, they would really all rather go hiking than to a competition.
1: Well, Frankie Pickles would definitely like to go barn hunting over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Well,
0: I mean, if you hiked in the right spot, she could really do barn hunt on a hike.
1: She could. I, I think she would prefer that because it would have the full prey drive sequence. <laughs> <laughs> At least here, go up a tree after a squirrel. <laughs> but yeah like and also the thing is guys if you have gotten your dog from a certain person and they want you to do a certain sport and your dog and you are not enjoying it sometimes doing a different sport can be a nice break and you may even find your dog does really well in that mm-hmm. too. like it's not always this one track road you have to follow yeah mm-hmm.
0: as always are you having fun is your dog having fun you know and if not maybe something needs to change
1: yeah, and I will say this because I'm going to be a little bit judgy right now. <laughs> if people are telling you to lock your dog up and not let it play or socialize or integrate into your home in order to increase drive for sports, you need to stop listening to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And you need to um, enjoy
1: your dog and socialize it to live as part of your family. Yeah. So um, into this constantly.
0: Yeah, deprivation in order to increase drive is not okay. It's not humane. No.
1: And and uh, it sets your dog up to have problems in different areas.
0: I remember back in the day, and I would love to think people don't do this still, but I have a feeling that's not the case. Um, I had a retriever that loved people, other people, any people, more (laughs) than he loved working with me. And I was a baby trainer as well. So now I know how I could have helped him have more value in playing with me. But um, people told me literally don't feed him for two days before a trial.
1: That's a long time. I'm like, pardon.
0: <laughs> There's one thing to say: don't don't give them breakfast and feed it in training throughout the day,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? But to say don't feed your dog so that they are so hungry they will work with you that that's an ethical issue. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not humane.
1: Yeah. So social deprivation, food deprivation, all these kind of things, exercise
0: deprivation.
1: Yep. They don't lead to a healthy, healthy dog that you can do great
0: things with. Really, no, it it will fall apart at some point. Even if you short term seem to be more successful, um, it'll it'll fall apart.
1: Yeah. So then the other expectations I'm running into that seem to be unreasonable, <laughs> 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 and I love these people because they're trying their best. Um, are my training clients sometimes they get a dog that's a certain breed or a certain genetic background, and they expect that dog to handle any situation because they quote-unquote socialize the dog as a young dog in <laughs> <through> those situations <laughs> and I'm seeing this a lot particularly with livestock guardian dogs and resource guarding food mm. um just because your puppy grew up eating food beside other random dogs that come to your house doesn't mean it's going to be okay with that as a mature adult mm-hmm. or if you go and stay with a friend that your dog is just going to be okay you know sharing everything with the mm. dog that Mm -hmm. lives there or even your other dogs in your home and this is not just livestock guardian dogs this this ticks the box of like so many breeds of dogs that don't share well and i mean they're not meant to necessarily (laughs) so um like if you have a terrier Mm -hmm. it
0: might not be reasonable for your terrier to be welcoming of other dogs in their house yep or you know a guardian breed
1: Yeah, and my mom has an Irish Terrier who's super social, super dog social. She's lovely. Um, She's pretty cool with dogs in her yard. But if I try to bring my dogs into her house, she gets really growly and uncomfortable because she's used to being an only dog. And her background is not necessarily to be super friendly dog social in every situation. Mm -hmm. So all we do in that scenario is we split the house in half (laughs) and she gets her half that she's used to being in and my dogs can visit in the other half and then we can take them outside to play. Yeah, doesn't have to be over the top.
0: That was similar here. We had our friend's dog staying with me for a week. You Mm -hmm. have Gibson, I have Maven. And um, my border collie has some pretty big feelings about her personal space. And so we have the room the house split into zones and they weren't typically loose together in the house unless they were doing an activity with me that I was monitoring closely, but they could be in the yard together. No problem. Mm -hmm. And that's a fair expectation for my young herding dog. Yeah. Especially when they're two females with similar (laughs) space control (laughs) issues. Um, It's just not, it would take a lot of work to make them both comfortable. Sure. I could make it work, by suppressing and telling them both that they you know kind of forcing it but no one would be happy Mm -hmm. and so the fair thing they're happy and they're trying to kind of play through the fence but that wasn't meaning i was going to let them together to do that inside the house outside the house great they're great in the yard together
1: yeah and it's it you just put the well-being of all the dogs involved first over Mm -hmm. what's easier which would be to have all the dogs together yeah, well, in, theory. in theory. <laughs> until things go wrong, people. <laughs> I
0: would be hypervigilant. I would be the one not having fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, kids too. Like, lots of people will get again. Uh, we see a lot of herding dogs. Obviously, we have herding dogs, so <laughs> people call us because they have herding dogs that they're struggling with. Um, and I'll see a lot of them. They have a herding dog, and it's great with their kid, but it isn't great when their kids' friends come over or when there's a birthday party. I'm like, then the dog can have a bone in their crate or in a bedroom or whatever when that happens. They don't necessarily have to be a part of all the things. Yeah. We don't need to take the young herding dog to the playground.
1: Yeah, that's a hard one. Mm -hmm. Running children.
0: (laughs) Running, squealing children. That's a really hard one for a lot of dogs that might be bred to be more controlling of
1: Little things that run. Yeah. Yeah. So It's funny to us because we just, we get these training requests. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they come to us and it'll say X dog and need the dog to do the polar opposite of what it's been bred to do. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's hard as a dog trainer when we get those because we know that we won't necessarily be able to give the family the exact result they want. Yeah. So part of it is training the dog to do exactly. things more comfortably, but also it's training the family to change their expectation of the dog. And mm-hmm. it, it's tough. Yep.
0: Um, yeah. I have that all the time. I read my intake form and we go in and I said, the, you know, little breed, this is typical for your breed and yep. there's all, and we talk about the genetics, the self, the learning history, the environment, how that all affects it. But the genetics do typically have a big role in what the dog can comfortably do in life
1: yeah yeah and sometimes the background of the dog like um, I know you work with them more than I do too now um, but I used to do this a lot we would work with dogs that have been rescued from a reserve or brought mm-hmm. up from Mexico yeah and people expect them to just adjust to our society mm-hmm. which is very different than the society they were raised in and lived in for however length of time it is and the fit and the transfer into our society can be really hard on these dogs and they Mm -hmm. don't tick the box that most people think they're getting
0: yeah yep your little street dog from iran might not ever be the dog that goes to birthday parties
1: yeah or even Mm -hmm. walks on leash comfortably Mm mm-hmm Right? Yeah. it's the, I've seen pretty extremes with this stuff because these yeah. dogs have never been on a leash. They've never worn a collar. Some of them have never been touched by humans. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. had clients that have adopted dogs like that.
0: Yeah. Yep. Then they're trapped or they're snared. And then all the trauma comes forward into their home. and And now we want them to live in a city with, you know, kids or skateboards and all that stuff outside and possibly even in the house. And yeah. it can be really hard on them. And yeah. then it becomes, an, you know, the ethics of which dogs do well, which dogs are we helping. And there's a whole big pu- bigger picture there. Um, and I'm not against importing dogs at all, but I think it needs to be done thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I have probably, I would say probably a good third of my clients currently are imports from Mexico, Iran, um, Chile, those types of places where the animals are free roaming. And the populations are different. So it's really cool to look at selective pressures that we put on breeds um, and to see how we change what that dog enjoys doing or what they enjoy or what they feel uncomfortable. And we create these things. And dogs bred and selectively bred here over many, many generations are often bred to tolerate they of rough handling. Not that it makes it okay, <laughs> right? But the German Shepherds, the Goldens, the, the Labradors, a lot of those breeds were selectively bred to tolerate rough
1: handling. Yep. And I then do you that about my Aussies too, to be honest, mm-hmm. with, with the owners they know. Yeah. And yep. when you bring a little street dog in from
0: wherever, that dog hasn't been bred to tolerate that stuff. So you yeah. handle that dog in the same way that maybe you've been taught Maybe some celebrity on TV, um, <laughs> no names, there. Um, and that dog thinks you are trying to kill them and will react with teeth.
1: Yeah, you might and even that... just be doing a nail trim, how you do on every <laughs> other dog you've had before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, they're different, and every dog is different. And I've met some great imports that have no no issues and can do all the things, but more often than not, they struggle.
1: Yeah, at least the first year. I mm-hmm. feel like it's, it's pretty long here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The number of times I've had someone crying, not just imports, all dogs, just crying in the first few months of having a dog is, is pretty high.
1: Yeah. That happens with my puppy people too. <laughs> Usually <laughs> if they're trying to be really perfect. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I just tell people if they're not crying when you have a puppy, you probably don't really have a normal puppy.
1: <laughs> I don't cry with puppies anymore in my house
0: no but you're a little (laughs) bit more experienced than the average pet person
1: (laughs) had a lot of puppies guys (laughs) eventually you're just like oh this again
0: (laughs) yeah I don't think I've cried other than over health stuff in a while
1: Mm -hmm. the health stuff is hard yeah Mm
0: -hmm. especially when you can't figure it out
1: yeah which is common by the Mm -hmm. way just so everybody knows if you're having behavior issues or medical issues with your dog that you can't necessarily figure out, it's normal. (laughs) It take a long time. Yeah.
0: I just spoke with somebody yesterday and their dog is sudden change in behavior from happy and outgoing. And it's a, it is a retriever and happy Mm -hmm. outgoing loves everything to terrified to leaving the house Mm -hmm. and their vet recommended Mm -hmm. specialists and all the x-rays and stuff and she called me and we're talking Mm -hmm. about it and I am happy to make a training plan once I get the go-ahead from the vet yeah I want to know that that dog's had a really thorough checkup to figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. and if it is medical then the training for it will look different from a purely behavioral um, standpoint
1: yeah and sometimes you need to get some good pain management on board before Mm -hmm. training can happen at all
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So medical, that's the other thing too, is if an animal, especially if you have a breed that's more protective, Mastiff Shepherd or something like that, and it does have health issues, maybe part of your plan and your expectations is that when it has a flare up, we have more separation and maybe it's
1: not a part of the family right now. It has its quiet space. hmm mm-hmm. So, changing expectations for your dog, depending on their health status, is really important. Mm-hmm. Especially as they age. Yep. Yeah, I had one dog. He um, he was really great with dogs. Really sweet. Really friendly. My first Aussie ever. And he tore his Cruciate. And his dog skills just went right downhill.
0: Mm. Yeah, Super
1: yeah. defensive. He trusted the dogs in the house only. No other new dogs. Yeah. And I it guess. did. It got better, but it, it took a long time. He had to have surgery. He had to feel better. His movement had to improve.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a similar situation. My mastiff. I used to do dog boarding a lot, uh, just for friends and like other common type dogs that got along mine. Mm-hmm. And um, I had one that would come and go. I probably had him every few months for a weekend, you know, regular. And he knew my dog for years. And then one day he showed up for boarding. And uh, my mastiff leapt up off the deck, charged down and grabbed the mother scruff and pinned them.
1: I was like, that's scary.
0: That was a huge, it was scary, especially in big dogs too. And it was a sudden, we were like, holy, what just, what just happened? So my first step was the vet. And it turned out that even though he seemed to move well, he had some pretty severe hip dysplasia. Yeah. And the expectations for him were a pain management and all the supplements in the world. Back then you, we didn't do, surgical options. Now he probably would have been a candidate for stuff like that. Um, But, and the other expectation was I wasn't going to do dog boarding anymore. Yeah. And the other thing I could have done is done more of a separated house. Mm -hmm. But at that time, that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I stopped,
1: stopped boarding dogs. Kept a safe space for him. Yeah. He deserved to feel safe. 100%. -hmm. So the whole point of this Was if you're frustrated with your dog or someone else is frustrated with your dog, (laughs) you really should look at expectations first and see if it's ethical and reasonable what you're asking of the dog.
0: And maybe talk to a professional, one that has that type of dog or has a lot of experience with that type of dog, and ask them if they think your expectations are fair and uh, setting your dog up for success too.
1: Yeah. And really evaluate where you're at, too, because I can tell you, life is hard and the human end of the leash goes through a lot. <laughs> and sometimes if you're not in a great space with your mental health or your physical health, your dog's behavior declines, too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, so it's not always medical for the dog. (laughs) Sometimes it's the human. Yeah. And I know personally, like, if I'm going through hard stuff in my personal life, even if when I'm training, I'm super patient and relaxed and happy, my dogs live with me. And they get to go through that emotional experience that I'm going through, too. Or if you became pregnant. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or
0: if. You know, somebody in the family is sick and you need to care for them more. That can cause a lot of stress. Or somebody passes away or somebody moves or somebody moves in. Or someone loses a
1: job. Mm -hmm. Right? Like all these things that happen in life to everybody, they impact your dog and where your dog's at and what you're going to be able to achieve that year with the dog, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, loose leash walking or (laughs) it's a champion title in a sport. It's just those things are impacted by external forces too so Mm -hmm. give yourself some space yes
0: and you know be kind to yourself not just your dogs we always talk about the dogs and we want to be fair (laughs) to them but like be fair and kind to yourself and give yourself the room and maybe even hire someone to walk your dog if you have finances help you train
1: your dog or support you and this is like again if you have a great breeder relationship or you have a really good friend like me and Christina are really good friends and I'm having a bad day. I know that if I said, Hey, I'm really having a hard day. Can you take this dog and do play disc with her? Mm-hmm. That would be fine. Right.
0: A hundred percent. And I'd go mm-hmm. do that Yeah, help you out. Just like my guys. I don't have a lot of people. I can, that I, that I trust with my dogs. <laughs> so it's really important that I have people like you and, if, you know, we've got a select few friends that if, if something's going on, I can say, Hey, can you come help me out with this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good to have that support network, especially when you have lots of dogs. Like we, we know our audience here has lots of dogs. <laughs> so it's Having someone that knows your dog dynamics, knows your dogs, know how they do with each other with different dogs and can help out when, <laughs> life hits a bump. It's a really important part of having lots of dogs.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm on call right now for a friend who is uh, five days overdue to have their baby. Oh, (laughs) And (laughs) I am the on-call person to go in and feed their dogs and let them out because I know their dogs. Yeah. Um, And that them knowing that they have me there to take help take care of the dogs just takes away a lot of the stress because not you know, they're anxious dogs, so not just anybody could go in and do that, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe and maybe they you could don't but know least, when it's
1: gonna happen. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what we wanted to touch on with expectations because we're just we're just seeing a lot of weird expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: yes. It's uh when Jade and I talk when we have clients and we're like, you know, sometimes I wanna run stuff by Jade to make sure that I'm not out of line because sometimes we can get kind of bottlenecked into what we think um but it's always good for us to have people to talk to and to reaffirm that yeah this this expectation isn't realistic for this dog no
1: and sometimes they're obvious and sometimes they're not
0: Mm -hmm. sometimes I couldn't really think about that you know
1: yeah yeah and sometimes they're like oh this should be a meme (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it already is a meme (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully we gave everyone some food for thought on expectations of their dogs or other people's expectations of your dogs. Yeah. (laughs) And you can feel a little bit better and a little bit less pressure.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. All right. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it.
0: And if you'd like more information, don't forget to check out our website and our free Facebook community.